Last call for any middle or high schoolers that might be hanging out. Uh, it's about to get real. So if you want to head over to base camp, uh, I highly recommend that. So um, we are in our marriage series week two. It was a good start last week. Um, you know, I want to say before we get started, because we're, we're talking about intimacy and sex this morning, and, you know, it can, it can be taboo uh, in the church. It can feel awkward in the church. But the, when it comes to marriages, and really life, I think, the two, in, in, in regards to marriages, the two most complicated issues within marriages are money and sex. And they are the two least talked about things within the church. Um, we feel like we can't talk about money because people are going to take it the wrong way. Oh, the church just wants my money. And it's awkward to talk about sex because it's the church. And how backwards is that? All right? How backwards is that? And we wonder why marriage is so hard. We're never hearing about it from the author of marriage. And so we are going to talk about it today uh, openly, according to Scripture. And, and I'm praying and believing that this is going to be a benefit to all of us in here, whether you're married or not, because uh, you will one day apply it to your marriage. And, and maybe or talk to someone else about it who is married. Um, but here we are. All right. And this is a good thing. And I know like we have a, we have a text thread with some of the guys in our church here. And sure enough, last night, the joke started coming. I was like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> it's almost tomorrow. <laughs> You know, and I was like, all right, we're going middle school here. All right, let's do it. <laughs> but we're going to go for it. So again, I say, last call. If you're in middle or high school and want to get out, you can go over and help Miss Rachel out in uh, base camp. And I promise you, you'll probably have a less awkward 30 minutes than you would if you were sitting in here with your parents. Um, all right, so last week we talked about God created marriage, right? He is the author of of marriage. It was his idea. He invented it. And so because of that, when we, if we want a healthy, godly marriage, then we need to look to the Lord about our marriage. We need to open scripture and see what he has to say about marriage. And we talked about how if God creates something, he only creates good things. And so marriage is a good thing. And you might need to write that down again today, depending on where you're at in your marriage. Oh yeah, that's right. Marriage is good. All right, underline it, highlight it. And in the same breath that God invented marriage, God also created sex, all right? It was his idea. He came up with it. Not as some, the first, you know, Adam and Eve didn't just stumble upon this. Like, wow, look what we discovered. No, God created us in a way that we can have this, okay? But when we're talking about sex and God creating it, we're talking about it in the confines of marriage between a man and a wife, all right? That is how God created sex to be. And anything outside of that is a distortion and a perversion of his creation, okay? And so we need to understand that first and foremost, that this is about a conversation about marriage between a man and a woman. But even in, in that understanding, in a marriage of a husband and wife, sex is still incredibly complicated. It can be a source of frustration, anger, bitterness, disunity, and all sorts of other things. At the same time, it can be a source of pleasure, fun, 
unity, confidence, all these other amazing things. And there's really no gray area in this matter. You know, there's not, well, we're kind of wanting, we're a little bit right in the middle of the road. No, it's usually one way or another way. And so what we need to do is we need to understand it from the godly perspective so that it is all those good things and not all those bad things. All right? So that's what we're going to do this morning. And I want, to, I want to say this too right off the bat, that 99.9% of what the world says about sex is wrong and is a lie. 99.9. I'm going I'm to give the world 0.1% of maybe, maybe saying something truthful about it. But that's, I think, being even generous. What the world says about sex is a lie. And we, we're, we talk a lot in conversations now, if you're paying attention to the world, about how the world is just indoctrinating us with things and our kids with things. And we're using that word a lot. But the truth is, when it comes to sex, the world has been indoctrinating us on the, its belief for years and years and years and years and years. And we may not have even noticed. And what, when we don't understand that, when we don't see it for what it is, it seeps into our marriages. And we start applying what sex should look like according to the world instead of according to the word. And then all sorts of things start happening. And one thing that the world loves to say over and over again is that there's no consequences with sex. There's no consequences. We were watching a show, Jesse and I, the other night. This is like a 90s sitcom, right? An old, older show. And there was a character on there who like, liked another person on the show, but that person was, was dating someone. And so another character said this, word for word, oh, it's not serious. They haven't even slept together yet. Like, it's not a big deal until they do this, but they're only dating still anyway, right? And it just came, it was just flow of conversation. And then this conversation kept going. And there's that little bit of, it's okay. My favorite thing, and I'm sure y'all have noticed this too, yet I still feel the need to point it out to Jesse every time we're watching a show. She's like, I get it. You don't have to say this again. But when there's like the show you're watching and a couple has a baby and there's this episode where they have the baby, they're in the hospital and it's glorious. In the next episode, the baby disappears. It's like, where'd it go? Right? The couple, they're just living life like they were before. Like they don't, their life hasn't drastically changed, right? Babies change things, y'all. Have you noticed that? Anyone besides me? No. Yeah, they change things. But amazingly, on TV, no, that's fine. Now, we're still going to go hang out with all of our friends and do all the stuff we always do in every single episode. We're just going to leave the baby at home unattended. She's fine, right? There's consequences. There's consequences to sex, and we need to understand what those are. The, listen, you want to know what, what real consequences of sex is? Look in the Bible. The Bible's very clear about it. Very truthful about it. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. The devil attacks sex because even he knows how important it is and how harmful it can be. So he distorts our view of it over and over and lies to us over and over because he knows what it can create when it's done outside of a godly marriage. And so he's relentless. He's relentless at it. Look in the Bible. There's several different examples of the consequences of sex. But I think the one that is most telling and, and maybe most familiar is the story of David. The Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. But David, one, 
is in a place where he shouldn't be. That leads him to see a woman, Bathsheba, bathing on her roof, which, okay, not the wisest decision. David commits adultery with her, gets her pregnant. This leads him to become a murderer because he kills her husband and the baby dies. All because sex was taken out of the confines of husband and wife marriage. Consequence. But here's what I also want to say. When you look in the Bible, and, and there's, I believe this is a word for many of us in here today, that God's love for you trumps your sexual past. In the Old Testament, God used a prostitute to hide some spies on his behalf, his people, and what became of her? Only that she was included in the lineage of Jesus Christ. A prostitute named Rahab. Then when we read in the New Testament, when Jesus shows up on the scene, we see him regularly eat with prostitutes. He's saying, I'm not scared. I'm not scared of your past. I'm not scared of your present. Come sit with me. We see him in John 4. We talked about this uh, story a few weeks ago. Meeting with the Samaritan woman at the well in the middle of the day. And they're having this conversation about Jesus being the Messiah. And he says, why don't you go get your husband? And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says to her, that's right. You've actually had five husbands. And the one you are with now, translation, the one you are sleeping with now, is not your husband. So what does Jesus do with this knowledge? He shares himself with her. And she goes into town and basically saves the town. She becomes an evangelist in that moment. God can use you no matter your sexual past. And there's many of us in here, many of us watching online that need to know that. You can be freed of that. He loves you and he will use you if you will let him. You have to let go of it. But Jesus' blood covers your past. Jesus' blood washes you clean of your past. So know that as we discuss this morning, this topic. All right, let's dive in to this marriage series, starting in Mark chapter 10, verse 6. It says, but God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. I'm going to read verse 8 again, and I want you all to highlight this, or write it down. And the two are united into one. Listen, I'm going to tell you all this morning, what we're talking about today, it's not really about sex. It's about unity. It's about oneness. That is what this is all about. Unity and oneness. Because when we marry someone, it says we are now one with them. Not two people competing over anything, but we are one. We are one together. And our oneness comes about through intimacy, through mental intimacy, emotional intimacy, and yes, physical intimacy. And you've heard the phrase consummating the marriage, right? To consummate means to, means to make certain through sexual relations. It means to come to completion through sexual relations. That's what consummating the marriage is. But let's just for a second look at what a wedding day looks like in the order of things. Because the consummation of the marriage happens at the end. It's the last thing. 
When everyone else is gone and it's just the husband and wife, that's the last part of it. What has happened before then, when they're at the altar, before the pastor or priest or whomever, there is an emotional intimacy that happens where it's we're looking at each other's eyes and we're crying, oh, you're the one for me. I'm so, blah, blah, blah. you know, it's just uh, sweet, cool, whatever, right? So we have this emotional intimacy that happens. Then there is a mental, right, a thought intimacy that happens where we say with our mouth, our vows to one another, and we are committing to one another. We are making that conscious choice to do so. And then, and then the physical intimacy happens at the end. And so what I'm saying here is that sex happens well before the bedroom. All right? The unity has to take place during the day. We can't expect unity in the bedroom if there's disunity the rest of the day. All right? It doesn't work that way. You can try, and you might even have sex, but there's no actual unity, and it might actually make things more awkward. But what the unity that happens throughout the day then leads to later in the day. But we can't have later in the day until we've had unity throughout the day because there's oneness. And we're trying to create oneness here when there's not oneness here. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And then we beat each other up because of it. So really what we need to do is look at, look at what our life and our marriage is like during the day, throughout the week, to then get to the bedroom. We can't just jump all that stuff, guys, sorry. There's more to it than that. I'm going to lay a truth bomb on y'all now that is going to blow your minds. Maybe because I know this, this is why I'm the lead pastor here. Men and women are different. It's true. Write that down so you don't forget it. We're different. And listen, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to get like on a soapbox here or anything like that. But until we embrace the fact that we're different, we will never be able to understand one another. And there is a reason, there's a lot of reasons, but one reason that the world is trying to say that we're not different, that you can be whatever you want, is because that actually causes a lot of confusion. You can't serve the other person if you don't know how they tick. I can't serve Jesse as her husband if I only think, well, this is what I would want, so that's what I'm going to do for her. She's different than me, right? And you are different from your spouse, when we can't just assume that, well, this is what I want, so that must be what they want. It doesn't work. We are different, right? Despite what anyone else says, we are. And the fact that that's, there's even an argument there is mind-boggling to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 12. It says, you say I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Listen, we, we, we talked last week, we opened the series saying that our spouse is not our Savior. Our spouse is not Jesus to us, and you are not Jesus to your spouse. Sex is not your Savior either. It is not the thing that is going to save you on a bad day. 
It is not that thing. And if we become a slave to that, all we've done is make it an idol and more important than Jesus in our life. And so Paul is saying here very clearly, don't become a slave to this thing just because it can be a good thing for you. It's not Jesus. But we put so much weight on this one aspect of our marriage that it actually can take Jesus' place within our marriage. And I, t- I talked about how we're different. And men, you know, on a, on, a, on a bad day, on a terrible day, when things just don't go right at work or whatever, we're tired, like what fixes us is what happens in the bedroom. Makes it, it, that's the comfort. For women on a bad day, things are going wrong. If you're a mom, you have kids, and they're just, they're just kidding hard. Like, what comforts them is, is being heard, being listened to, doing the chores, taking the kids and getting them away from mommy for just a minute, right? Or maybe buying dinner so they don't have to cook, whatever it might be. But it's lessening their load, not adding something else to it. And so we have to understand that, that it's not always the answer. We can't be a slave to it. It goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 6, You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. That's how Paul just puts that in there. It's like, what? But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. All right? Your marriage was made for the Lord. He brought you together for his glory, right? And here's yet another falsity that I'm going to debunk this morning about what the world says about marriage, relationships, and everything in general is that we are sexual beings and we just need to satisfy our cravings, right? And just, just, just dive into that wholly and completely because that's how we're made and that's how we should operate. And that, you know, we're not created to be monogamous. You know, that's not who we are as people. We're, it's not right to be with one person your whole life. What? Are, no, that's wrong. We were created for a relationship. We were created to be monogamous with someone else. You know why? Because monogamy teaches us how to be selfless, how to serve, how not to be selfish or self-centered, right? How to love when we don't feel like loving, okay? That's what monogamy brings. Monogamy brings us on those hard days to Jesus on our knees together. Monogamy teaches us all sorts of amazing things about Jesus and each other and ourselves, Anything other than that is a self-serving, self-centered, I am God of my own life, I'm going to do whatever I want that makes me feel good, and I don't care about anybody else. That's what the other side is. And so don't believe that when people say, well, that's not how it works. Yes, we are. But it's because the Creator made us for this. He gave us this. He said it is not good for man to be alone. That's God's word. Because he knows what what being in a committed relationship does. And the truth is, a lot of times, it brings us to our knees to him. Which is exactly where he wants us to live. Because marriage is hard. It's hard to serve one another when we don't feel like it. It's hard to understand the other person when we're different. But that's what marriage is about. That's what loving and serving your spouse is all about. Y'all, it ain't easy. But it is good. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. Our bodies are made 
for the Lord, not for ourselves. We're to honor our bodies for the Lord, but here's the thing. The Lord, it says also, cares about our bodies. They are, it's, it, our bodies are his, but God also gives us things for enjoyment that are good for our bodies. Sex is one of those things. Verse 19, it says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. You know, when we, we were talking about marriage, we're talking about oneness, we're talking about unity. And, and last week, I asked the question, the first question of three was, if God created marriage, how are you honoring this gift that he's given you? How are you honoring your marriage? And I believe one huge way that we honor our marriage is by honoring our spouse. So today, how are you honoring your spouse? How are you honoring them, especially when it comes to this subject that we're talking about ourselves? Because remember, our bodies are not our own. They are the Lord's. And if we're to honor God in our marriage, we honor our spouses, which means we need to understand them. For husbands, this means not expecting it at the drop of a hat every single day. It means serving your wife without expecting anything in return. Because if we're serving our wives only expecting something in return, we're just serving ourselves. It's all conditional, and that's not serving. So we don't expect that at the drop of a hat. We serve with, with, without condition. And then the third thing is we don't, we don't create this idea of them in our head that is absolutely impossible for them to live up to. That there's this thing that this is how they should be all the time, and why aren't they? Well, because it's impossible. And we've created something that it only sets them up for failure. And I want to also say we honor them, men, by having our eyes belong to them and them alone. When you're out and about, you look at your wife and you don't look at anybody else. And that's it. We honor them when they're not around and other women are. Ladies, you honor your husbands by understanding that you can't wait for the skies to part and the doves to ascend and the wind to blow in your hair like your Beyonce and everything is romantic and the kids behaved perfectly and somehow the dish, all of it just got done and it's just amazing for you to say, okay. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Like that, just like men, we can't set this idea of our wives that's impossible. Ladies, you can't do it either, right? There might come a day when everything lines up, right? And it's just perfect. But we all know that's few and far between. So you can't wait. You can't wait for those perfect moments. And, and I want to say this too, ladies. Your husband thinks that you're pretty. Your husband thinks that you are beautiful. And husbands, if you're sitting there, go, yeah, I do. And you don't tell her, tell her. Tell her that she's beautiful. Tell her that she's pretty. And here's what you do, ladies, in return, okay? You say thank you, right? 
It, is, it amazes me. This is the response of most ladies. I'm sorry I'm speaking generally here, whatever. Hey, you look really pretty today. This is the response. Y'all ready? <laughs> it's not even a word. Like, and it's like, what? Just, I, wait, what? And it's just, <laughs> Like, that's not the response that we are looking for, okay? How many of brush my tail brush my hair? I hate you. I, what? I was just trying to be nice. I really think it. I mean, I don't get it. Ladies, you are so hard on yourselves. You're so hard on yourselves. And all the, all the husbands are trying to do is, I was just trying to be nice, you know? And that noise came out. I don't even know what it said. <laughs> but, you know, truthfully, what that teaches the husband is why bother? Why should I even bother? If, you, if that's going to be the reaction, it's almost like you were mad at me for saying that. <laughs> and I don't want you to be mad at me. So I'm not going to say it anymore, right? That's, that's how our simple minds work, right? A plus B does not equal C, so I'm going to shut up, right? Listen, godly husbands, the husbands in this room, I'm telling you, I, I haven't done a survey, I haven't done a poll, but I know this to be true. They, ladies, they want intimacy with you. They want to connect with you. This is, this is not just this physical piece of meat deal. I'm telling you, the world says that that's what men want. But godly men want so much more than that. And they do think that you are pretty. Even on your worst day. E yes, even when you wake up in the morning. You know why? Because guys are ugly. Like, we're, we're a rough bunch. So, like, by comparison, yeah. Like, yeah, you got it going on. Because we're, you know, we're us. You know, like... It ain't cool, right? We're like, y'all are pretty. Like, you're, you married me? <laughs> Sucka. You know, I'm... sex brings men to life. It makes, it makes men feel whole. And when the wife is vulnerable with the husband, it brings the husband to life in a way that will bring protection over the wife. So there's this kind of like weird juxtaposition going on here where it's like the wife wants there to be life in the man. The man wants there to be life, wants there to be protection. And, it, and when you come together in unity, both of those things happen. But ladies, if, if, you're, if you're wanting more from your husband, I'm not trying to put this on you, but like it, it's important. And it brings them to life in a real way where they feel trusted, wanted, and there's vulnerability there on both sides. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, dwell with your wife. That doesn't just mean share a house and be a roommate with them. We live with them. 
We live life with them. And how do we do it? With understanding. How do we understand them? We listen to them. We ask them questions. There's a quote I read this week that says, Never attribute to malice that which is easily explained by stupidity. This is what that means. Don't get mad at something you don't know anything about. Guys, we do that. We come home, we're expect we've had a long day, we have this idea of what we want, we haven't asked the wife anything about what's going on, and then we get mad when we don't get what we want. Why? Because we're not dwelling with them in an understanding way. We're not asking questions. We're not listening to them. We are so over, overly sensitive about anything that they might say that we just shut it out and we're done. And we get mad because of our own stupidity. We're not understanding them. We're not dwelling with them. At that point, we're just roommates because we're not listening to their needs and only thinking about our needs. And we're forgetting that there is oneness in our marriage and it's not two people vying for one thing. There's oneness there. And again, that oneness and that unity happens before the bedroom. So how are we serving our wives, guys? How are we listening to them? How are we dwelling with them? It says again, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Prayers, pr prayers are the beginning of intimacy. That's where intimacy begins. And listen, y'all, we're going to be talking about marriage for the next few weeks here. But I want to say right now, if you don't hear anything else in these next few weeks, hear this. Pray for and with one another. Pray for and with one another. Out loud, together, ask each other, what can I pray for you about? How can I be praying for you this week throughout the day when I'm not with you? Pray for each other. Prayer is the birthplace of intimacy. It's where we're intimate with Jesus in our relationship with him. And it is where intimacy begins with our spouse. And if you're not doing that, you have made yourself a slave to everything else. But it says right here that your prayers may not be hindered. So you know what happens? We don't live with each other in an understanding way. Bitterness, frustration, our birth, that elephant in the room just continues to grow and grow and grow. It's not being addressed. It's not being talked about. And our prayers for one another are hindered. We say, I'm just not going to pray anymore. And this divide gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the oneness that we started off with is gone. We are no longer one. We're two people serving ourselves, not living with each other in an understanding way. The unity and the oneness has to happen before you ever get to the bedroom. And it begins with prayer. Don't let your prayers for your spouse be hindered because you're not understanding them, because you're not serving them. But y'all listen, husbands and wives, it is a two-way street. It is a two-way street that you both 
have to work at. You both have to work at it. You both have to pray with each other. I'm going to have the band come back up, and we're going to close this morning. I want to read this verse really quick. Song of Solomon 2, verse 16 and 17. It says, My lover is mine, and I am his. He browses among the lilies. Before the dawn breezes blow and the night shadows flee, return to me, my love, like a gazelle or a young stag on the rugged mountains. It's poetry. There's poetry in this. And what it tells us is that intimacy in sex is relational. It's personal. And it's hard to be intimate when there's no unity. And it's hard to have unity where there's no Jesus. On our best day, we can have a little bit of unity. But best days are hard to come by sometimes. But on our worst days, if we have Jesus at the center of our marriage, there's unity. And you know, when, when, I, when I do uh, weddings, when I officiate weddings, I always tell the couple uh, that's getting married, fight for unity. Fight for unity. Because it is, it's, it's unity, it's that place where God commands his blessing. And so unity should be the thing that we strive for the most. You know, we, we, we make sex this, this thing in our marriage, this, this huge thing. And we, I mean, imagine if we pursued prayer in that same way. Imagine if prayer and serving our spouse took up the same thoughts and, and all those things as sex did in our marriage. Just imagine you got to fight for oneness. It doesn't just happen. I wish it did, but it doesn't. You have to fight for it. And then God will command a blessing on your marriage in all sorts of different ways. But are you willing to fight for it? All right. We've got some homework for you all this week. Calm down. It's not what you think. Guys, this is the best church ever. Lay it on me, Pastor James. Ah. Oh, man. Ah. It's my time now. Ah. Calm down. This is what I want you to do, just like last week. I want you to talk about this sermon. Talk about how you can better serve one another. Guys, if you haven't been living with your wife in an understanding way, ask for her forgiveness. Ask her how you can do better. And wives, the same thing. How, how am I misunderstanding all this? And then if you, if you can, I know it's Sunday and, it, and weeks are scheduled out, but if you possibly can, go on a date. Go on a date this week with your spouse. And if, if you're, again, if, you're, if your week is already booked solid, then do it as soon as you possibly can the week after. But I want to encourage you, if there is anything on your calendar that can wait, reschedule that thing and put your spouse first. And do this, wear something nice. Get a little dressed up, right? And I'm serious, especially, I wanna say especially for the moms in the room because you can get so wrapped up in being that mom that you forget that you are a beautiful woman. So dress up. Look nice for your spouse. And then, if things go well, you know, right? 
But listen, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with intentional intimacy. So I'm not, not trying to be too graphic here. I really am trying to be respectful. But in all honesty, when there's that elephant in the room, sometimes you just gotta, you just gotta get on the board, right? You just gotta make that move. And if, if, that's, if you're in that place where it, that, that elephant in the room has just been growing and growing and getting more awkward and weirder, like just get on the board with one another. It's just the two of you. We're not doing an altar call this morning, okay? This is just between y'all and the Lord, really. But take that step. But remember, it begins before the bedroom. The oneness and the unity happens throughout the week. So talk about this first with one another. It's not about me. It's not about this church. It's about your marriage. And I can give this sermon today and you can listen to it and say that was really great and you can go on with your week and nothing in your marriage is going to change y'all it's, it's up to you all right i wasn't standing at the altar with you saying i do with you all right that's weird all right it's you so talk about it you want to see change in your marriage talk about it pray with one another and go on that date and remember why you fell in love with the first in the first place it was just the two of you then it's the two of you now look nice. Look nice for one another. We got a good looking church here. Come on, y'all. You can do it. And then pray with and for one another. Pray with and for one another. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands who did that last week. But if you didn't, do it this week. Do it. Pray for one another. Pray with one another. What we're going to do now is, is um, we're going to take communion. We're going to put Jesus at the center of today, everything we do here. Because we're talking about unity. We're talking about oneness. That all begins with Jesus. All of it. He is at the center of our marriages. He is the cornerstone. So when, like we, we, when the waves come, when the days are hard, we have him as our foundation. Man, he's for you. Y'all know that, that, that Jesus is rooting for your marriage. Whether you were, you were saved, you were a Christian before you got married or not, you are now. He wants the best for your marriage. But he has to be at the center. So we're going to honor Jesus this morning as the son of God who came to this earth lived and died and rose again for each one of us to prove his love for us to say yes I can trust in God because he died on the cross for me what else what else do I need to know you know he loves you he loves you so much and he loves you despite your past he loves you despite your present he loves you right where you are at right now his body was broken for you. His blood was poured out for you. He loves you. If you're at Beaches Chapel, I'm going to say this in a few minutes in our members class, but we stand on the grace of Jesus that we're saved not because of anything that we did, but because of what he did for us, that he loved us first. And if you live that truth out every day, and you run to Jesus every day, in your life and whatever you might be facing and also with your marriage, he's gonna get you through. So why don't we stand up this morning, have the elders come.
We have four stations up here. We're, we're not doing the cups, although we have some up here. If you're not comfortable with how we're doing it this morning, you can still take uh, the, the cups that we used to do. And I'm going to do some, this is, this is how we're going to direct traffic, okay? If you are sitting in these two middle sections, all right, we're going to go row by row, but as your row comes, you're going to come up the middle aisle. You're going to go to either one of these front stations right here, and then you're going to exit back these side aisles to your seats. If you're sitting on the far wings, you're going to come up these aisles right here. You're going to go to these stations over here, and you're going to go back to your seat out the side. I think, yep, there we go, right there. It's a little diagram for you. And this is just a moment. I want to encourage you, if you're here with your spouse this morning, go up together, maybe even hold hands. Just take this moment to put Jesus first. And then as you go back to your seat, and as we continue to worship, maybe there's something that you need to say right now to your spouse. Do that. Don't wait till you get in the car. You can whisper it in their ear, whatever. But we're going to put Jesus first here and remember his sacrifice over all aspects of our life. So why don't we bow our heads, close our eyes. Lord, we love you. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice that showed us what true selfless love looks like. God, we thank you so much that you loved us first. Before we ever loved you, you loved us and said, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna leave heaven. I'm gonna die on a cross for them because they can't do it word says that Moses came with the law, but you came with truth and grace. The truth being, we can't save ourselves. The grace being, I'll do it for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lamb of God. Hallelujah, Jesus Christ, our Savior. We honor you this morning, God. We bless your holy name, Jesus, the name that is above every name. And we do as you're telling us to do in your word remembering your sacrifice. And Lord, I'd pray this morning too for those, the marriages in the room and those who are longing to be married, those without a spouse, those with, who are still healing from a broken marriage, Lord. God, that you would be in all of it. You would be in all of it. And God, that those that are without a spouse right now, that they would date you. God, that they would pursue you and find everything they need and more in you. God, for those that are married, that they would pursue you together. God, we invite you in right now to be the center of it all. We're not gonna be a slave to anything. We're not gonna live the lie that our spouse is Jesus or that the hope of a spouse is Jesus. No, you are Jesus. You are good. You are good. Father, we bless, bless you this morning. We honor you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Y'all can come up as we worship.